This is the word of the living God. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Who can make a boat with their hand? Okay, it's a nice and still boat. Nice and still. A furious squall came up. Make a squall. The boat is going crazy on the squall. Very good. And the waves broke over the boat. So that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Can you believe that? He was asleep during all that. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet. Be still. And the wind died down. It was completely calm. Where's your calm boat? He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're kindergarten through third grade, you can go out this door with Miss Rebecca. Otherwise, you can come back to your seat. You're my good. Testing. We're about to find out. We are about to find out. Testing. Oh, I have to cut it on. Oh, the zipper pocket. That is very convenient Look for the that. mic. Just press it once. There it is. I love you. It had been a long day. A really long day. In a first century 30-something, speech-delivering, miracle-working, Godish-acting, Jewish-brown man named Jesus had spent all day long doing all kinds of Jesus-y types of things. Teaching and healing and caring for people. Caring for a lot of hurting people. And Jesus was, he was tired. <laughs> but there would be no rest for the weary quite yet because it was time for Jesus and his crew, him and his closest disciples, to go ahead and start making their way to the next stop on this Jesus public ministry tour. And so as the hot sun of that day begins to set, Jesus and company all pile in on this small boat, probably barely big enough to fit them all. They, they all pile in and they begin to set sail across the sea of Galilee. We could imagine that Jesus' disciples that day were also pretty tired. But probably they also still had a little bit of adrenaline in the tank from all the miraculous things that they had seen, that they had experienced being with Jesus that day. And so I imagine they were probably chatting it up real good on the boat that evening. Like, man, did you see that hand that Jesus healed? Man, that's nothing. What about Peter's mama? Remember, she was sick. All he did was touch her. She was healed. It's probably miracle story time on that little boat that evening. 
But again, Jesus himself, that brother was tired, tired. So I imagine him making his way through the bustling crowd of these adrenaline-laced conversations all the way to the back of the boat to try and find a place to rest. And so finding a vacant spot, Jesus lays down. He lays down to, as my grandmama would say, rest his eyes for a little while. And so as that little boat drifted off into the sunset that evening, Jesus himself drifts off to sleep. So in the famous words of the great American poet, Ice Cube, Today was a good day for Jesus and for his disciples. It was a good day up until it wasn't. Understand that not too long after Jesus dozes off to sleep, that beautiful, serene kind of sunset in the background seems to see an opportunity to transform itself into a violent storm of hurricane proportions, beating that little boat all up, flooding it with both water and with fear. Understand that everybody on that boat that evening, even the most seasoned sailors on board, they all freak out. All of them, all of them that is except for Jesus. What's Jesus doing in the middle of this life-threatening situation? He's still in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow, sound asleep. And so, of course, Jesus' terrified disciples look back, and they see Jesus still sleeping, and so they flip out on Jesus. Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you see that we're out here about to drown? How in the world can you be sleeping right now, Jesus? Do you not care about us? And it's at that moment... That Jesus, the already proven miracle-working God-man, he lifts his head up off that pillow. And I imagine him kind of rubbing his eyes a little bit. I think Jesus got crushed in his eyes sometimes. He was human. Jesus stands up. He stands and stares right in the face of that raging storm. And with that storm's winds and rain spitting all up in Jesus' face, Jesus opens his mouth and says, shut up. Be quiet. Peace, as some translations put it. Peace, be still. And immediately the sky's clear. And that sea is as smooth as glass. Everybody show me your boat that's real smooth on the water. And then turning to his beloved and fear-filled disciples, Jesus asked them a very loaded rhetorical question. Why are you 
so afraid. What in the world do y'all have to worry about? Don't you know who I am? How long have you been with me? How many miracles did you see come from my hands just today? Are you still not convinced of my power? Are you still not convinced of my love for you? Are, are you still not convinced of my divinely gifted, impeccable timing? Jesus asked them right straight to their petrified faces, Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith in me? Of course, by now, them disciples were all messed up, right? One minute they thought they about to die. Next minute they see the greatest miracle ever. The next minute they're getting fussed out by Jesus, right? So all these disoriented disciples could do in response was shake their heads and ask themselves, who in the world is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. That's how the gospel writer Mark describes this dramatic scene at the end of Mark chapter 4 with my retailing privileges. And it's through this dramatic sequence of events that I believe Jesus was teaching his followers that day and is teaching those of us trying to follow him today a dramatic sequence of truths. That being on Team Jesus does not mean that storms won't come blowing in your life. And when they do come blowing, Jesus won't always necessarily calm those storms immediately because through those storms, sisters and brothers, Jesus oftentimes has plans to straight up blow our minds and to fill our hearts with a fresh understanding of who he is and who he is for us. Those of us who've walked with Jesus for any significant period of time, I'm sure, have learned experientially that being a Jesus follower does not mean storms still won't come. Can I get an amen from somebody? We know, many of us, that following Jesus, that trusting Jesus, that loving and being loved by Jesus does not mean that the worries of this world will leave us alone. I know we know that. But oh, how easily it is for us. And I say for us, I really mean us. I'm including me in that too. How easily it is for us, sisters and brothers, to act sometimes like we forgot that. Evidence by the way that we too, just like the disciples on that boat that day, we be freaking out too, right? When problems come blowing into our life, we act shocked. We get disoriented. 
And we begin to doubt. To doubt His power. To doubt His love. To doubt His plans. And His purposes. And so I believe in a real way that it was Jesus' training grace to his disciples that day to leverage this stormy situation as an opportunity for them to marinate on that truth. Because I imagine that Jesus knew well that what would most often tempt those who follow him to stop following him or to even sometimes turn away and go in a totally different direction would be the storms of this life. All the physical and mental and emotional and spiritual atmospheric disruptions right in our life in this damaged world, Jesus knew that those stormy experiences would be one of the greatest and most consistent sources of doubt and departure from a faithful Christian life. And so again, it was his grace to his disciples that day provide them with such a memory-searing, visceral demonstration of the reality that in this world, as a follower of him, you will have troubles. As a matter of fact, Jesus would later say that explicitly in John 16, 33, right? In this world, you will have troubles. That being on team Jesus... That following our team captain where he's leading not only does not mean storms won't come, but that you will often encounter even more storms, not less. Man, as I read this story this week, it hit me. Think about it. The only reason that the disciples were on that boat that day was because they were following Jesus on the mission that he had invited them onto. If they would have just stayed their behinds at home that day, right? If they would have just rejected Jesus' call to follow him that day, they would have likely avoided being in that terrifying, stormy situation. But they didn't. They didn't didn't choose to stay home that day. They committed that day to follow Jesus, having no clue that they'd be following him into a storm. What's the point? Some of us are in some storms right now. Without warning, the clouds have all of a sudden moved in. The winds have picked up. And the little boat of your life, of your mind, of your body, of your heart, of your soul, feels like it's being shaken all the way to pieces. And some of us, again, I'm talking about myself here too. Some of us 
have been tempted to interpret the presence of some storms in our life as a sign that either we've taken the wrong turn and somewhere we lost Jesus along the way, or that Jesus himself has taken a wrong turn and has dragged us down the wrong path with him. At least a few of us, I'm sure, are feeling like that, even this morning. But the grace of God to you this morning, sisters and brothers, is the powerful voice, the sweet voice of Jesus reminding you through this text this morning that it's okay, that it is all right, and that actually many of those storms in your life, past, present, all waiting down there for you somewhere in the future, Meeting of them are actually signs that you actually are following Jesus and following him on the right path. The path of love. The path of life. Again, following Jesus, sisters and brothers, often means more storms, not less. As a matter of fact, this, that's kind of the the surcharge of discipleship. It's the cost of actually allowing the Holy Spirit to pull you in the direction of holiness, to pull you in the direction of love and action in a world that is full of evil and demonic principalities and, and, and demonic powers and systems and structures and policies and principles that are hell-bent against the righteousness, against the holiness, against the justice that we sang about this morning, against the loving will and way of Jesus. Storms will come. And you got to remember that oftentimes they will come as an actual result of your faithfulness. And when storms come, sometimes they're going to hang around longer than we like. Now understand that when that first drop of rain fell on the heads of Jesus' disciples that day, Jesus could have simply said, rain, rain, go away. Come again another day, right? And immediately it would have had to leave. With just the tone of his voice, with just the rhythm of his speech, with nothing but the cadence of his mighty words, Jesus could have stopped those winds. He could have evaporated those rains. He could have checked that storm right on sight, but he didn't. Jesus didn't. Instead, Jesus decided on purpose to let that storm rage in their life. For a little while. But why? Why would he do that? Of course, we don't know all the reasons. 
But I've come to believe that in general, the reason Jesus held off dealing with that storm was to again, in the most dramatic and visceral way imaginable, teach them that day to teach us today. That just because there is a storm in our life, and just because it seems to be hanging around for a long time, sometimes for a really, really long time, that does not mean, one, that Jesus has forgotten about you. It does not mean that Jesus does not still love you. And it in no way interferes with Jesus' promise that at some point he is actually going to calm the storm. But what it does mean, sisters and brothers, is that for all kinds of oftentimes mysterious but nonetheless good and perfect reasons, Jesus sometimes determines to let the rain fall for a little while. Oftentimes it's his very means of some greater, some deeper, some more beautiful purpose in your life and through your life. Again, if you've been walking with Jesus for any significant amount of time, then you can testify to how true that is, can't you? You can look back in the rearview mirror of your life and you can see now much more clearly the many unexpected amazing ways that Jesus has used storms in your life as his very means of growing you up, of maturing you, of making you more fit and more prepared for the specific callings that Jesus has on your life. And ultimately to better prepare you for the life to come. So storms will come, oftentimes as a result of your faithfulness. And sometimes those storms may linger for a while for purposes, for ultimately good and perfect purposes, even if they are beyond our ability to see or grasp, especially while we're still in the middle of the storm. And one specific purpose that it seems Jesus often has planned in the context of storms in our life is simply for Jesus to have an opportunity <laughs> to help you to better see, to help you to better believe who he is and who he is for you. You know, it's amazing how spending time with a person in a new place, in a new context, can help you to notice some things about a person that you haven't noticed before. I remember a long time ago, probably close to 10 years now, I guess. Matter of fact, it was back when I was a young intern under Pastor Giorgio at Christ Central Church in Charlotte. I, I remember back then traveling with a bunch of dudes from the church to the you know, ubiquitous 
sometimes infamous men's retreat, right? And I remember that first day at the retreat, a bunch of us deciding to head down to the courts and play a little basketball, right? And I remember there was this one particular guy, I'm not going to say his name. We'll just call him Clark, okay? I remember Brother Clark decided to come play too. Now, understand, I've known Clark for a while now. As a matter of fact, I think we were in a Bible study or some small group together or something, so I knew him pretty well. He's a good dude, loved Jesus and all that. But Clark was the kind of guy that if you just look at him, there was nothing about him that said basketball or player, neither one of it. Now, I don't mean any harm. But Clark was kind of short, kind of goofy acting. I think the brother even tripped on the way walking down to the court. I was like, oh, my goodness. But none of that was even my main cause for pause with Clark and his basketball playing potential. The most glaring item, the most key piece of evidence of Clark's likely unimpressive basketball abilities was captured most conspicuously in what your boy had on. He walked down to those courts in the middle of summer with some blue jeans on and some Birkenstock sandals. Y'all know Birkenstocks, right? I know y'all know Birkenstocks. I'm looking around, look. I ain't going to call nobody out. Somebody got on some Birkenstocks, some Chacos in here right now. And I'm not hating on Birkenstocks. Matter of fact, my wife, Charlotte, she stayed with a fresh pair, especially around this time of year, right? Just not my style. But, you know, as they say, do you, boo. So, anyway, all I'm saying that is that there is a very good reason that there hasn't been an NBA player in basketball history sponsored by no Birkenstock. <laughs> They're not made to play basketball in, right? Two little straps on top, toes all out. That is a turned ankle and a broken toe waiting to happen. And that's how your boy Clark decided to show up. And so I knew right then and there, I ain't picking him on my team. No, sir. You better try Jesus. Don't try me because I'm trying to win, right? But look, y'all, <laughs> y'all can imagine where this is going. I wish I hadn't judged a book by its cover, because as soon as the game got started, Birkenstock boy was killing it. I'm serious. He was a baller for real. Clark must have been Clark Kent. Because he stepped between those lines and he turned into basketball Superman, right? Brother was out there crossing folks up, throwing no-look passes, shooting it from deep. He was even doing a little Steph Curry arm thing. I was like, well, what is going on? It was so crazy. I had to rub my eyes and say, who is this dude? This can't be the same goofy acting Clark that I just walked down here with. But it was. You see, I had entered with Clark into a new situation. 
to a new context where those latent and obscured abilities could finally be rightly revealed. And so it was with Jesus that day, sisters and brothers. Jesus decided to use the new context of that storm to reveal himself, to reveal his character, to reveal his power, to reveal his attributes and abilities to his disciples in a new and fresh way, a way that was so new and so fresh that they had to rub their eyes to and say, who in the world is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Again, that dark storm that day was the theater of the Lord to display himself in a way that could only be seen and experienced in the context of a storm. And sisters and brothers, in closing, I can personally testify to you this morning that it was only in the context of some storms in my own life that I've been able to get a deeper understanding that I've been able to, to grasp a clearer picture of who Jesus really is in my life. Some of you know from your own testimonies that you really didn't know Jesus was that kind of Jesus until he flexed his Jesusness all up in the middle of some storm in your life. Amen? Some of you didn't really know Jesus to be a healer. Until the storm of some health issues blew into your life. And Jesus brought you through it. Amen? Some of you didn't really know Jesus to be a provider. I know this one well. Till you were flat broke and without hope, as they say. Not seeing how in the world you were going to make those ends meet. And Jesus stepped in and provided exactly what you needed to get by. Some of you didn't really know Jesus to be the great comforter that he is. Until the storms of loss, until the storms of heartbreak, until the storms of death came rolling into your life. And you know that it won't nothing but the pure love and comfort of Jesus that got you and is still getting some of you through it. It was only in the context of some storm, sisters and brothers, that you were finally able to see and to experience in new and fresh ways who this Jesus really is and who he really is for you. So storms will come. And yes, sometimes they're going to last longer than we want. But Jesus is with us in it, just like he was with those disciples in the boat. Sometimes when it's dark, you can't see who's around you. Jesus is saying, I see you. Even if you can't see me, I see you. And he has ultimate good purposes through it 
Bunch of them we don't know. Bunch of them we'll never know on this side. But one that we do know that he shows us in this passage is his amazing grace of being able to see him more fully for who he really is. Of course, in closing, our ability to actually trust all of that rests not on my opinion. Mm -mm, Don't just listen to me. It doesn't even rest on the preponderance of textual evidence in our passage this morning. But rather the That hope, brothers and sisters, rests firmly in the historical glorious reality that Jesus himself was one day nailed to a stormy cross to absorb for us the full justifiable stormy wrath of God that we deserve. Only to be laid in a stormy grave for a few stormy days. But of course, the good news, brothers and sisters, is that on the third day, early one Sunday morning, Jesus rose up from that storm of death and looked death and the devil right in the face and said, just like he did on that boat that day, shut up, be quiet, be still, instantly putting a termination date on every single storm in your life. Guaranteeing that one day, ooh, one glorious day, sisters and brothers, All storms will cease forever. And we shall, I like the way King James still says the shall, we shall dwell in the eternal sunshine of Jesus' glorious presence forevermore. And so it is with that blood-bought body broken, grave laying, resurrecting hope that we can trust that Jesus will prove faithful to provide us all the stormy grace we need in this life until he makes storms no more. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of his life, death, resurrection, and his promise return, we have a hope, an unshakable hope, that storms won't last always. And we have a guarantee, Lord, that you will provide us all of the stormy grace we need to endure faithfully. Till the end. So help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to believe that. Help us to lean on that. Help us to cling to that, even this morning. And help us to help one another to do the same. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.